Peace be upon you. So as we look at the examples of the monotheistic faith, we see how Satan's able to go in and cause havoc, to lead people astray, to lead people to idol worship, the one unforgivable sin. And the, the example of Christianity is a perfect example of this. And we see numerous uh, calls out to this in the Quran. That at the beginning, they said, Jesus, he's uh, the prophet. Then he became divine. Then he became the begotten son of God. Then he became part of a trinity, meaning that Jesus and God are one and the same. And you realize that if you ask a Christian, are you committing idol worship by this? They have all kinds of justification for why they're not. And Muslims are not in the clear. They did the exact same thing that the Christians did to Jesus. They're doing to Muhammad. The only difference is that they're not saying that he's God. They're not saying he's, it's his partner. But the way, the veneration they have towards this human being is on par, if not greater, than the veneration that Christians have towards Jesus. Take, for instance, even the translation of the name Muhammad. If you ask a traditionalist, what does this word mean, Muhammad? They will tell you that this means one who is praised, meaning that they're giving the praise to Muhammad. In Arabic, when you add the meme prefix to an adjective, you're saying that this person or place possesses that quality. So, for instance, we have the term sajada. Sajada means to prostrate. And then from sajada, we get the term masjid, which literally means a place of prostration. We have the term Muslim which means one who submits, where it comes from the word salama, which means he submitted. So from the one he submitted, we get the term Muslim, which means, again, one who submits. Another example, the term shirk, which in Arabic refers to the act of associating partners specifically with God. While a mushrik is what you call someone who associates partners with God. So following the same logic, let's go back to the meaning of the name Muhammad. So Muhammad comes from the root to mean to, to praise, admiration, and gratitude. So the term Muhammad would be one who praises. But you see how they flip this and they make him the focus. They make Muhammad the focus of their praise. When I called this out on uh, Twitter, one of the responses said the name Muhammad in itself means the most praised one. And he put most praised in capital. And the natural question to such allegations is if Muhammad is the most praised, where does Allah fit into the picture? Right? If, if Muhammad is getting all praise, he's being the most praised, right? Where does God fit in this equation? This deviation in meaning shows the Muslim desire to elevate the prophet as their focus of praise. By doing this, they are transforming the prophet from one who praised God alone to one who should be endlessly praised. And it's obvious. You go to any traditionalist masjid. You go listen to a sermon. They endlessly are sending praises. They're sending blessings to the prophet, the companions, and they rarely mention God. So because they made Muhammad into their idol, they use the distortion of the meaning of his name to give credence to their perpetual praising of him. There is not a single verse in the entire Quran that gives praise to anyone other than God. Every occurrence repeats that we are to give all praise to God alone. This is the second verse of the Fatiha, that all praise belongs to God, Lord of the universe. Nowhere in the Quran are we commanded 
to give praise to any entity other than God alone. And again, when I pointed this out for some people, here's one of the responses. It reads, And since committing my thoughts to singing praises of him, Muhammad, I found in him to be the most committed to saving me. Now look at this response. If a neutral party read this, right, they would assume that this person is worshipping Muhammad. Yeah, they don't use the term worship, but if he's saying that he's singing the praises, that all his thoughts are dedicated to this human being, this dead human being at that, and he's found him the most committed to saving him, right? Where is God in this equation, right? We all know God has no partners, but what are we to say when the Muslim masses, they treat the prophet with such veneration to the point that they edge out God from the equation? In Surah 35, verse 8, it reads, Note the ones whose evil works is adorned in his eyes until he thinks that it is righteous. God thus sends astray whoever wills to go astray, and he guides whoever wills to be guided. Therefore, do not grieve over them. God is fully aware of everything they do. Here are people whose evil works, you think the, the one sin that God says he will not forgive if maintained until your death is that of idol worship. That they think that this is a huge blessing. They think this is righteous work that they're doing by in essence setting up this partner next to God. And one of the videos that kind of made me go down this path to, to, to put together this episode was from a uh, Muslim teacher of his Islamic sciences. And in this video, he tries to justify that his praising of Muhammad equals the praising of Allah. And he equates it to a painting and a painter. He says, look, if I'm praising this painting, what I'm actually doing is praising the painter who made this painting. And by doing this, they're elevating his status again to something that Muhammad himself never claimed. And you will not find this, absolutely you do not find this in the Quran. You know, yet this person is committed to thinking that, hey, by praising Muhammad, he's actually praising God. And what's ironic is you see this exact same level of argumentation coming from Catholics regarding their veneration for their saints. So in one article, it reads, Why Honor the Saints? And this is from a Catholic publication. It reads, Honoring the saints does not detract in any way from our worship of God. We actually give God more praise when we acknowledge His achievements in the saints. When we honor the saints, we are basically saying, Praise be to you, God, for what you did in the life of St. Paul. Now, I don't see any difference between what the Catholic clergy are saying regarding the justification for sending so many honorifics, so many venerations, so many praises for their saints as what this imam is claiming is righteous when he's constantly glorifying uh, the prophet. And it continues, it says, so when it comes to honoring the saints, the important question to ask is, do you want to love God with all your heart and give God more praise? Because if you do, then you will want to recognize his spiritual masterpieces, the saints. That's why we take time to learn about the saints, strive to imitate them, develop a relationship with them, and seek their intercession. As we draw nearer to the saints, we draw nearer to God. Now again, you cannot make a distinction between this comment coming from the Catholic faith and what this imam is saying regarding the reason he gives so much praise to the prophet. He believes that the prophet on the day of judgment is going to intercede on his behalf as if the prophet knows who the heck this guy is. He's going to be able to identify him. Ironically, as we saw in previous episodes, 
even on the day of resurrection, the Hadith claim that the Prophet is going to say, my people, my people, and they're going to be exiled into hell. And the response is, you don't know the Hadith they spread after you died. The Quran uses some of the strongest language to warn the believers of these kinds of distortions to justify their idol worship. And you see this in Surah 39, verse 3. It reads, absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say, we idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. Anyone who follows a supposed monotheistic faith is going to find all kinds of mental gymnastics, hoops to jump through, to justify their blatant idol worship. God is calling out this excuse, we idolize them only to bring us closer to God for they are in a better position. Right? This individual thinks the reason that Muhammad needs to be praised is because he's so much closer to God. And if he only gives him enough praise, then God will send blessings upon him. And now they've sent up an intermediary between them and God. They've set up this human being as an intercessor between us and our Creator. He has no right in that position. God does not need the help of any entity. He is ready for us to answer our prayers. He wants us to go directly to Him without a middleman. The Quran commands believers to remember and commemorate God frequently. It reads in Surah 33, verse 41 and 42, it says, O you who believe, you shall remember God frequently, you shall glorify Him day and night. Right? So our commandment for praising, for glorifying, for mentioning, for remembering, is that to God alone. Again, you will not find a single verse in the entire Quran commanding the believers to give praise to anyone other than God. But by encouraging this perpetual praising of the Prophet, they're inevitably turning the masjids dedicated to God alone into places of idol worship. In Surah 9, verse 107, it reads, there are those who abuse the masjid by practicing idol worship, dividing the believers and providing comfort to those who oppose God and His Messenger. They solemnly swear our intentions are honorable. God bears witness that they are liars. These people, they're making the masjid the place of prostration and they're including the servant of God in this act. Again, you go into any masjid, most of them, right up on the wall, they're going to have the names of Allah and right next to that is Muhammad. And again, if you didn't know Arabic, you wouldn't know which one is which, which one is God, which one is his servant. There's this uh, masjid in Pakistan. It's the, called the Bong Mosque. And I, I have this image in the blog. If you get a chance to look at it, it is so egregious. There's a giant glowing uh, writing, script writing of Muhammad. And on top of the Muhammad, there's this tiny, it looks like a vowel marking that says Allah. As if Muhammad is carrying the name of God. What a blasphemy. What a gross, gross blasphemy. In Surah 72 verse 18, it says, The places of worship belong to God alone. Do not call on anyone else beside God. God is telling us that the places of worship that the only name we should be glorifying, the only name we should be praising is that of God alone. What's interesting is the following next verse in 72.19. It says, When God's servant advocated him alone, almost all of them banded together to oppose him. The Muslim Ummah is so opposed to the mention of God alone, to the fact that we should only be giving praise to God alone, that we should only be glorifying God alone. They become apprehensive. They get angry when they see such things. 
And this reminds me of another interesting event that took place this week. On May 12th, Sheikh Hassan Ali made the following tweet where he posted a single verse from the Holy Quran. It reads, The Prophet Muhammad was instructed to say, Say, I am but a human being like you. It is revealed to me that your God is only one God. So turn straight towards him and seek forgiveness from him. And woe to the mushriks, the idol worshippers, those who ascribe partners to Allah. And this is Quran, Surah 41, verse 6. One would think that the Muslim Ummah would be happy to have the Sheikh remind them of the beautiful verse from the Quran. Instead, his tweet caused an uproar among many Muslims who viciously attacked him and the verse he cited. Many respondents denied that the Prophet was a human being like us, insinuating that the Prophet was not like us and thus the verse of the Quran was wrong. One person wrote, Prophet wasn't like us, very agitated. That he was very certain that, look, the prophet was not like us. How dare you? Another one says, he is a man like no other man. And he cites Abu Huraira. One account called upon Surah 3 verse 7 to claim that this verse, Surah 41 verse 6, was a multi-meaning verse. And that the sheikh was misquoting this verse, even though he just simply quoted it. And Surah 3 verse 7 is the one where it says that God has sent down straightforward verses which constitute the foundation, the essence of the Quran, as well as multiple meaning verses. And that those with doubt in their hearts, they're going to pursue the multiple meaning verses to extricate a certain meaning. So he's insinuating that the sheikh, by merely citing one verse of the Quran, that he's taking this multi-meaning verse, where it doesn't seem like a multi-meaning verse. It seems like a very straightforward verse. People questioned the sheikh's intentions for bringing to their attention such a verse. Like, how dare you cite this verse of the Quran? It says, if you're replying to this with the intention to show Rasulullah is just like us, reflect on your iman. This is what one of the respondents said. One account called the sheikh a moron and after telling him to die and rot in jealousy, while another called him ignorant for simply reminding them of this simple verse. Then there was a number of respondents who cited hadith to show that the prophet was not like us. He was not just a mere human being. He was superhuman. They cited the one, uh, this is Sahih Bukhari, 1922, where it says that the prophet didn't need food or water like mere mortals. God fed him. And then other people, they cited the, uh, the, the one where the prophet claimed that he had eyes in the back of his head and he could see all around him. So you can see the rage, the fuming for them being reminded of a verse of God in the Quran, that the prophet was just a human being. We have another person. They wrote the following response to the sheikh. They said, his sweat has a fragrance. Is he like us? Stones would do zikr in his hand. Is he like us? The trees would cry for him. Is he like us? This ayat is talking about the human side of the prophet. It doesn't mean he is like a human being in history, right? These people are discontent with a simple verse of the Quran, stating something that the Prophet said himself. We can say def that definitely this statement, that I'm just a human being like you, came out of the Prophet's own mouth. Yet the people are so vehemently angry. Then there was a series of people calling Muhammad God's best creation. This implies that he is better than all the other prophets and messengers, all the angels, all the things we don't even know of, that God never informed of, that out of all these, the Prophet is the best creation God has ever created. Nowhere in the Quran is such a statement made. The Quran is very clear that we are not to make any distinction among God's messengers. 
by elevating some over others. Now, God himself, of course, he makes distinctions. He's the one who sets everyone to rank. But as far as we are concerned as believers, God is telling us we are not allowed to make any distinction among any of God's messengers. In Surah 2, verse 136, it says, Say, we believe in God and what was sent down to us and what was sent down to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and the patriarchs, and what was given to Moses and Jesus and all the prophets from their Lord. We make no distinction among any of them. To him alone we are submitters. In Surah 2, verse 285, it says, The messenger has believed in what was sent down to him from his Lord. And so did the believers. They believe in God, his angels, his scripture, and his messengers. We make no distinction among any of his messengers. They say, we hear and we obey. Forgive us our Lord. To you is the ultimate destiny. This shows that the response from the believers when cited with this commandment from God that tells us not to make any distinction among God's messengers is simply, we hear and we obey. But what do most people do? They say, we hear and we disobey. Right? They want to make a distinction among God's messengers. They want to say that Muhammad was the best creation, that all glory, all praise belongs to this one human being, this creature of God. And when they do this, they're showing that their devotion is to this human entity and their devotion is not to God alone. Because if it was to God alone, God's commands reign supreme. Some individuals take Surah 4, verse 150 and 152 to say that this distinction just simply means believing in some and disbelieving in some. And we're going to show that that's not the case. So it reads, those who disbelieve in God and his messengers and seek to make distinction among God and his messengers and say, we believe in some and reject some and wish to follow a path between. These are the real disbelievers. We have prepared for the disbelievers a shameful retribution. As for those who believe in God and his messengers and make no distinction among any of them, he will grant them their recompense. God is forgiver, most merciful. They take this statement. They say, we believe in some and reject some. And they say, that's what it means to make a distinction. But what they don't understand, it says, and seek to make distinction among God's messengers and say. So for instance, let's say you go to class and your professor tells you, there is absolutely no cheating on this test. And do not look at the paper of your neighbor. Does that mean that because he called out not to look at the paper of your neighbor, that other forms of cheating are permissible? No, of course not, right? This verse is simply calling one way where some people are making distinctions, where they say we believe in some and reject some. But the reality is all forms of making distinction among God's messengers is prohibited. That as believers, our response is we hear and we obey. If you reject one messenger, you reject all messengers. And we don't elevate any messenger above other messengers. This clarification is even in the Hadith. In Sahih Bukhari 3414, it says that the Prophet said, don't give superiority to any prophet amongst Allah's prophets. And it says at the bottom, it says, and I do not say that there's anybody who is better than Yunus. And this is in reference to Jonah. So he is saying in this Hadith, not to give superiority to any of the prophets. In another narration, this is Sahih Bukhari, 6916, it says the prophet said, do not prefer one prophet over another. Now, the simple question is, is Prophet Muhammad a prophet? Yes. Therefore, we are prohibited to give preference to one prophet over another, right? This corresponds with what it says in the Quran, 
that we are prohibited from making distinction among God's messengers, that we treat them one and the same. The Quran confirms that Muhammad was a human being just like the rest of us. Contrary to what the Hadith tells us, the Quran confirms that he ate, he drank, he slept, and he even made mistakes. He was apprehensive to marry the divorced wife of his adopted son. He gave his attention to the rich person instead of the blind man. He prohibited something that God did not prohibit. He excused people from battle before confirming their truthfulness. In Surah 41 verse 6, it says, I am no more than a human being like you, who has been inspired that your God is one God. You shall be devoted to him and ask his forgiveness. Woe to the idol worshippers. In Surah 7, verse 188, it says, Say, so this is the prophet, we can say definitively, this came out of his mouth verbatim. It says, I have no power to benefit myself or harm myself. Only what God wills happens to me. If I knew the future, I would have increased my wealth, and no harm would have afflicted me. I am no more than a warner and a bearer of good news for those who believe. This verse is telling us that the Prophet himself had no power to even benefit or harm himself, that God is the only one who has all power. In Surah 18 verse 110 it says, I am no more than a human like you, being inspired that your God is one God. Those who hope to meet their Lord shall work righteousness and never worship any other God besides his Lord. Again, this is a common theme in the Quran that it's reinforcing that Muhammad was just a human being, right? But what do the idol worshippers do? They want to say, no, he was more than a human being. He was the best creation. We need to send him perpetual praise because when we're praising him, we're actually praising God. What mental gymnastics to justify their idol worship? The challenge is when believers attempt to elevate the status of the prophet beyond what God has allowed, the limits that God has set forth, they think they are giving honor to the prophet, but what they are actually doing is defying God's words and setting up a partner with God. This is what happened with the followers of Jesus. First they said again he was divine, then they said he's the son of God, and eventually they said that he and God are one. In Surah 19 verse 90 through 91 it reads, The heavens are about to shatter, the earth is about to tear asunder, the mountains are about to crumble because they claim that the Most Gracious has begotten a son. This is how despicable such a claim is to say that Jesus was the begotten Son of God. In Surah 5 verse 17 it reads, Pagans indeed are those who say that God is the Messiah, Son of Mary. Say, who could oppose God if he willed to annihilate the Messiah, Son of Mary, and his mother, and everyone on earth? To God belongs all sovereignty of the heavens and the earth and everything between them. He creates whatever he wills. God is omnipotent. Now this is incredibly strong language. God is letting us know in no uncertain terms that he is the one who has all powers. He is the one who has all say. That if he wanted to annihilate Jesus, his mother, and every human being on earth, that he could. He could do it without permission. This is what God is capable of. This is what he is allowed to do. But out of his mercy, he gives us this opportunity to see are we committed to him alone or do we set up partners next to him. And part of the reason that the Quran cites Jesus is because we all witnessed what has happened to his status after his death. That the people elevated him to the point of rivaling God. That they said that he's the begotten son, that he's eventually was God incarnate. What a blasphemy.
But these lessons, again, they're there for us to learn from, right? Not to make the same mistakes. Don't elevate our profit status to these levels. Now, what's interesting is this was pointed out the other week. There's a verse in the Quran, in Surah 43, verse 81, where God provides these arguments to shut down any debate. It reads in 4381, it says, Proclaim, if the most gracious did have a son, I would still be the foremost worshiper. Now, not only is this a powerful argument that God is saying, look, it doesn't matter if you had a son, that if you're committed to God alone, you would still be his foremost worshiper. Now, what's interesting, though, is the way that this is written, it's up to the translator, it's up to the individual how they understand this. I thought my whole life when I read this verse that naturally it says I would still be the foremost worshiper, that this is to God alone. That's the way I always read it. And then someone pointed this out the other week. They showed that in many translations, that's not what it said. Many translations said that if God had a son, that they would be the son's foremost worshiper. What does that tell you about these people's intentions? They're aching for God to have a son because they want to worship the son. They don't want to worship God. And I'll give you some examples. This is Sahih International. It says, say, oh, Muhammad, if the most merciful had a son, then I would be the first of his, and again, the his is lowercase, indicating that it's the son's, worshipers. Muhammad Asad, say, O oh Prophet, if the most gracious truly had a son, I would be the first to worship him. And again, the him is lowercase, indicating that they would worship the son. Now, there's a whole laundry list. I have over a dozen translators who are saying that if God had a son, they would worship the son. And I'm just going to say one more. This it says, say, O Muhammad, if the beneficent one hath a son, then I shall be the first among the worshipers. And it, it puts in parentheses, but there is no son. So again, insinuating that he's interpreting this verse, that if God had a son, we, we should worship the son of God. God be glorified from such blasphemies. And this is where it shows their idol worshiping tendencies comes out. That God makes this verse in, in such a way that it could be interpreted either way. But what it does is it brings out the true convictions of the person reading the verse. In Surah 17, verse 82, it reads, We send down in the Quran healing and mercy for the believers. At the same time, it only increases the wickedness of the transgressors. God does this deliberately to bring out our true convictions. How do we understand this verse? Do we still give all glory, all praise to God? Or do we try to find justification to worship other than God? Because as it's shown, when these individuals translated this verse, they were saying, look, if God had a son, yeah, of course, I would worship the son. And they're showing that their devotion is not to God alone. Our devotion has to be indivisible, exclusively devoted to God alone. There should be no other entity, no matter what, that is going to get in our way of being God's utmost worshipers. But we see time and time again, when people are given that choice to either be exclusively devoted to God alone or to set up a partner with them, many people choose to set up that partner. That's the reason in Surah 12, verse 106, it says, most people who believe do not do so without committing idol worship. And I want to read another one of these responses when I was saying that it's blasphemous to giving praise to the prophet, that all praise belongs to God alone. The person wrote, said, Praising beloved prophet is the religion. That's what Islam is based upon. Praising beloved prophet is one of the best of all worship. 
And I'll just summarize the last piece because it gets a little incoherent. But he's saying that in essence, uh, that this is the path to enter Islam is through praising the Prophet. Now, how can any sensible person read this and not see the how this reeks of idol worship? And again, we read the verse. It says, uh, absolutely, the religion shall be devoted to God alone. Those who set up idols beside him say we idolize them only to bring us closer to God, for they are in a better position. It says God will judge them regarding their disputes. God does not guide such liars, disbelievers. As believers in God, we should be absolutely 100% content with the worship of God alone, with the mention of God alone, and not have this, the desire to want to add any other names next to God. In Surah 39, verse 45, it reads, When God alone, Allah Wahdahu, is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside Him, they become satisfied. These individuals are showing that they're only satisfied with the mention of Muhammad. They don't even want to hear the mention of God. They claim that the name Muhammad means the most praised one. This shows that in their faith, in their religion, there is no room for God. That it's fully occupied with this human being that they set up as a partner next to God. So now I want to tie this full circle back to the original conversation. The meaning of the word Muhammad. That by distorting this name, by distorting the meaning of this name, they've made the prophet into their focus. Now, people often cite the following verse, and this is in Surah 61, verse 6, to justify their praise for Muhammad. In Surah 61, verse 6, it reads, Recall that Jesus, the son of Mary, said, O children of Israel, I'm God's messenger to you, confirming the Torah and bringing good news of a messenger to come after me, whose name will be even more praised. And this name is Ahmad in Arabic. And Ahmad comes from the same root as Muhammad. So from this verse, they're saying that, look, God is saying that this individual is going to be more praised. Now, what's interesting is this statement is coming from Jesus. Now, we already saw, we, we all witnessed this ourselves. What did the people do to Jesus after his passing? They're praising of him elevated Jesus' status to arrival of God. And this is not only just a foreshadowing. It's a good news for those who actually believe. It's a warning that those who are going to be praising Muhammad, that they're going to do it more than they even did for Jesus. The Quran repeatedly tells us that the prophets are sent as bearers of good news as well as warners. This statement from above serves both purposes. It is a blessing that God would send another messenger to reveal his final scripture, the Quran. Yet it is a warning that Muhammad will be even more praised than Jesus was by his constituency. So for those who believe, a messenger is a huge blessing and they bring good news. But to the idol worshippers, such a person comes only to their detriment because it's going to push them to their extremes of disbelief. And we have a perfect example of this in Surah 36 of the Quran. When the messengers went to their people, their response to them in Surah 36 verse 18, it says, They said, We consider you bad omens. Unless you refrain, we will surely stone you or afflict you with painful retribution. And it continues, the messengers' response, they said, Your omen depends on your response. 
now that you have been reminded, indeed, you are transgressing people. And it's that statement when it says, your omen depends on your response. How do we respond to God's message? Does it draw us closer to God or does it draw us further away? Does it cause us to become exclusively devoted to God or does it cause us to set up intermediaries or idols to rival that of God? And we see every time God's messengers come, they deliver God's message. They emphasize that the focus must be the worship of God alone, not to set up any other partners next to God. In Surah 3, verse 79, it says, Never would a human being whom God blessed with scripture and prophethood say to the people, Idolize me beside God. Instead, he would say, Devote yourselves absolutely to your Lord alone, according to the scripture you preach and the teachings you learn. This has been the message from all of God's messengers. The worship of God alone, to give all praise to God alone, to glorify God alone, to not set up any other partners next to God. Yet again, time and time again, Satan comes up with the most clever schemes to convince people that what they're doing is righteous, to convince people that what they're doing is not idol worship. And the sad truth is that most people are willfully blind to the idol worship that they are committing. And unless they address this dissonance, that when they hear this message to worship God alone, rather than thinking, no, this doesn't apply to me, is to reflect and reform. And God tells us that the stunning facts on the day of resurrection from the idol worshipers is that up until that moment, they're going to vehemently deny that they were ever idol worshipers. It reads in Surah 6, verse 22 and 23, says, On that day when we summon them all, we will ask the idol worshipers, Where are the idols you set up? Their disastrous response will be, By God our Lord, we never were idol worshippers. That they're completely blind to their idol worship. That Satan has veiled them so deeply that even on the day of resurrection, they're going to swear that their intentions are honorable. And we see this time and time again. That when they go to the masjid, they're practicing idol worship. And when they're confronted about it, they say again, Our intentions are honorable. That up until the day of resurrection, when God confronts them, they're going to be in absolute shock and claim that they never worshipped idols. Let's not have all our good deeds nullified. Let's not get to the point where, God forbid, we end up like these people in the day of resurrection. God willing, we each have to do our part to make sure that our religion is devoted absolutely to God alone, that there isn't the slightest hint of idol worship, that all our praise, all our glory, all our love, all our compassion... All our thoughts, all our remembrance, all our commemoration is for simply God alone, without any partners or servants or entities or children, nothing. God alone, from now to the hereafter. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact, please join us on our Discord server. We have thriving conversations, Quran studies, meditations. We have people from all over the world who would love to get to know you. So if you can, please join us. The invite link is below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can go to the Quran Study app on the iOS app store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website. And if you want detailed notes from today's talks and other ones, you can go to Quran Talk blog. And if you need more information, check out QuranicLabs.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.